Hello, everybody. I'd like to welcome uh, you all to today's How to Franchise Simply conference, teleconference, where we're inviting um, Peter Buckingham. Peter is the proprietor and co-founder of Spectrum Analysis, the foremost um, organisation in Australia from the point of view of looking at territories, site planning and so forth, and got huge resources, been in business um, himself for quite a number of years in this particular field, and operates uh, internationally as well in China, New Zealand, and I know has demand in other places as well. So what I'd like to do, um, just before we get started, just mention to anyone who's just come online, um, if they will be kind enough to press star six to mute the lines, it avoids any background interruption and so forth and at the end of the session um, we will have an opportunity for questions for anyone who uh, who wants to raise any in which case when we get to that stage I'll just prompt you to hit star six again and you'll be live online so um, what I'd like to do is to welcome Peter and just ask him perhaps to get started but by way of introduction um, give, a, give us just a little snapshot of his background a little bio so that uh, we all know where you come from Peter well thank you Brian um Thank you, everybody. Nice to talk to you. Um, my background really started with 20 years working for Caltex, uh, oil company, obviously. Had eight different jobs, lived in every capital city except Brisbane. Uh, my final couple of jobs were uh, manager of Western Australia for wholesale, and eventually I, I then ended up property manager for uh, Victor South Australia, and was sent overseas for a year to... Uh, to Dallas for four months and around the Caltex world and actually set up what Caltex does worldwide on how they decide where to select service stations. So that got me fairly interested in demographics and those types of ideas and came back to Australia after that year and did a graduate diploma in market modelling at Swinburne in Melbourne. Met up with a character named Bruce and we started spectrum analysis back in the mid-90s and like everyone in an oil company, someday someone walks up and says the job you're doing is no longer quite like it was uh-huh. and they give you a cheque to go away. So uh, thank you very much to Caltex, who is still a client of ours, by the way. Oh, yes. uh, so our core business is a couple of things. One is we do a lot of territory planning jobs for all sorts of businesses. We do a lot of sales prediction modelling. If you're going to open a store, how do you get a feel of what the sales are going to be because that's probably the most critical bit of arithmetic you need in forecasting your profit and loss. And we've now got a whole new area which is all about traffic and being having a website called Zenith Traffic that now runs to allow you to look up uh, traffic counts on any main road in all main capital cities. Oh, so they're our sort of parts of our business. I'm happy to talk about any of that. Excellent. Well, thanks for the introduction, Peter. And I'm sure that's a modest introduction because I know your background is quite uh, is quite extensive. And uh, look, I, I'm forward, looking forward very much to hearing what uh, Peter has to say. I know he's got some gems. So everybody who's listening, if you don't have a pad or and pen ready, um, I suggest you just scramble across the desk and grab one because there will be some good points coming up. And also you may have questions which we can raise later. So you can probably appreciate from uh, Peter's comments there his, his experience in franchising and territories is, is quite uh, quite extensive. So you can see why I judge him to be the most qualified person who can speak to us on this. So um, what I'd like to do then is to get the ball rolling and just pose the first question really. Um, why is site selection and territory planning important for a new franchise group, Peter? Well, um I'll start on, I think today's more about the territory planning than the site selection, but I'm happy to jump across a bit if you want to. Mm, yeah, I'll, I'll leave you to follow whatever you feel, the way you feel it's going, and I'll let's prompt you with a few questions. 
territory planning because quite simply in a franchise situation you are actually expected in your disclosure document to sort of say that you have some logic more than your wet finger in the air and uh, I joke that a lot of times I come across what I call the beer and pizza map which inevitably was done by a couple of very self-centred franchisees, the franchisor, a couple of bottles of red wine or beer and a pizza and normally the big black text has come out. Okay. The problem with the beer and pizza maps, and we've seen them all and uh, I often have pictures of them in articles I write, uh, is that's all great and very self-centred but no logic has normally taken place to make the territories of similar potential. What our work is all about is two, two stages. One is trying to work with the, uh, the client about how many territories they actually want to have and what the relationship should be, whether they want 20 territories in Sydney or 40 territories and what that would equate to in Brisbane, Melbourne and, and other capitals. And the second part is then to make it so that those territories have similar amount of potential. Now we work in two ways. The first is obviously using census data. You can say it might be that we just want 50,000 households in each territory. And the problem with just cutting it squarely like that is you'll have some territories that are, are great and some that are going to be terrible. And you'll end up with sales of the, the good ones will go really quickly and you'll be struggling with the bad ones. So what we like to do is try and work with the client and we try to create a unit called uh, units of demand. And units of demand, if anybody's ever done any accounting or something, years ago they probably had some example where they had widgets. The magical widget is that mystery thing that doesn't really exist. Well, units of demand are, I guess, my version of widgets. Because what we try and do is say, if we have, if the rules are going to be that we want to have uh, 50,000 households on average in a territory, then obviously if the areas are very suitable to what we're trying to sell, we can probably drop that down to 40,000. And if the areas are a bit detrimental to what we're trying to sell, then maybe we need to have 60,000 households. So what we're trying to make it is so that each territory has a similar amount of opportunity for the franchisee and ultimately that you as a franchisor can stand with your hand on your heart at a conference and say, hey, we've used these assumptions to make each territory of similar opportunity and potential. Right, so, we, so you, you basically determine the criteria and then you juggle the numbers, um, probably not a term you'd use, but the, maybe oh, no, the population <laughs> or the households or whatever, to, to meet that criteria so that you can say that, that, as you say, with your hand on your heart, these have equal opportunity. Well, for example, uh, I'll take a bit of a guess that a few people are in Sydney. If I was selling uh, ball gowns for rich ladies, yeah. now I might need 30,000 people in and around uh, Double Bay and Rose Bay and that area, but I might need 80,000 people out around Rooty Hill and Mount Druitt and uh, St Mary's to offer the same, and I still probably couldn't get the same amount of opportunity as I could out of 30,000 ladies around Double Bay. Mm. So what the census allows us to do, and the data that's here, is work out what the parameters that you see as good or bad, and then balance those to make the numbers come out of similar opportunity for any territory. What we tend to do, if it's an existing, now we work from people that are startups and that's great. 
inevitably the two questions we ask them that causes a bit of grief is like how many territories do you want and what do you think are the good things, you know, what's good about your customers or not. Now, if a business already is an existing business, we can, in a lot of cases, answer that in conjunction with the client. So the first one is often that, how many territories do I want? And I say to you, it can be done in two ways. One is from the top down, i.e. the managing director has said, we're going to have 20 territories in Sydney, and who am I to argue? Well, the other way is from the bottom up, where they might say, look, we've got an area, it might be uh, Fairlight, Manly, Balgala, and we've had someone operating in that area for quite a while, and that's about the right size, or it's, you know, needs another 20% or whatever it needs. Once we've got that, that becomes like the cookie cutter. Yep. And I can therefore measure how much potential is in that area and in conjunction with the client decide whether that is the right amount of potential. Now, if the client says, look, he actually uh, needs another 30%, he needs to add another couple of postcodes, then that would be the perfect territory for my system. And once I've got that worked out, I can just use my cookie cutter and go all around Sydney, bring it down, go all around Melbourne, go anywhere I want, and use that that parameter to cut similar amount of potential. Right. So that profile basically is there, and that's your subject to any dramatic market changes or product changes. That really is your your um, your specs moving forward. Yeah. Well, look, the normal things in most businesses that come out when we're using a B to C, a business to consumer, is Higher versus lower socioeconomic, uh, Australian-born versus ethnicity, and just older versus younger. So if I'm looking at an area like Kellyville in New South Wales, it's obviously going to be probably middle income, younger people, and I don't know, I'll take a guesstimate and say maybe have a fair bit of ethnicity. Whereas if I'm going into St Ives, I'm obviously going to be older people, higher income, and probably more likely to be uh, Australian-born. Mind you, if I move down to Chatswood, I know it'll turn around very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I'm sorry, can I just ask, are most, Brian, are most people Sydney-based who are on this call? Oh, mi- mixed, mixed actually, okay. yeah. yeah. But yeah, re- um, reasonable, there's, there's a few from Sydney, but I think most people understand Sydney suburbs, if you mention them. Uh, yeah. Okay, I can use my you, you may just, If you mention a suburb, you may just mention perhaps like some areas that it's sort of out of west, and I think yeah, they understand that, yeah. yeah. We're Melbourne-based, as you know, but I've lived in Sydney and Adelaide and Perth in my career. <laughs> uh, so our our work really then, so if a business already has um, clients, then we can often use that to to help set those rules up or prove those rules the best we can. So we have what's called geocoding software. And geocoding software means if you can say to me, here's 500 clients we've done some work with, we can put the dot on the map uh, automatically. So once I've got the dot on the map, I can then count how many clients in each postcode, and we then will normally go to a unit we call penetration, number of customers per thousand population, and very quickly we can start seeing, some comparing that to some demographics of like, wow, we do really well in high socioeconomic or low socioeconomic, or gee, we do really well in the Cabramatta area. Well. What's that going to tell me? We probably do really well with ethnicity. So we normally go through in any territory planning job an analysis phase to set the rules, and that can be sometimes that's a 
you know, a couple of days of work. Other days it's uh, 20 minutes because the person just tells me, look, that's what I know and I know we're just starting from scratch but they're the assumptions we're going to make. And then once the assumptions are sorted out, we then go into moving to do the actual territory cutting up. Now we run uh, Map Info, Pitney Bowes Map Info, but we also have a couple of data sets we have created. One is because the last census was 2006. The new one that you all did last year is actually coming out in its first cut in June, but we really won't get serious with it until it comes out as the second cut in about October. But because we're now into 2011, uh, 2012, the 2006 figures are getting pretty scatty. So we've created our own data set right down to small areas by starting with the 2006 census then every year the oh. government sorry the government produced estimated residential population at a statistical local area so about 30,000 people so they're telling us how many people are now in each SLA we also have data that shows us how many building permits are issued right down to each census collection district which on average is about 600 people so if i know an area has gone from 30,000 to 35,000 and I know 70% of the building permits are in one corner and 20% are in the other, then I can populate that up to get to my 35,000. Now, for example, if I look at Kellyville, Kellyville in the last census was 3,300 people, I think, and in the current, using our way of coming forward, it's now over 8,000 people. Yeah, I might have for those of you not sorry, I might just uh, just uh, just interrupt there. Kellyville's in the in the Hills district, northwest of Sydney, for those who are not aware of it. It's an area that's been rapidly developing and in fact it is referred to as uh, part of the sort of uh, the Maccas type uh, housing where you've got a quite a quite a lot of uh, good quality housing, a lot of younger professionals and that type of thing. So it's it's taken off in the last ten years, I guess. Uh, yeah, look the McMansions, I think they McMansions, call it. McMansions, that's right. Yeah. If you're in uh if you're in Melbourne, you'd be talking the equivalent of probably uh, the northern parts of Werribee or somewhere down near Pakenham, and uh, I, I don't know my Brisbane's that well, but uh, very north of Clarkson in Perth would be the same sort of thing. So uh, we actually, and that type of data we've actually licensed to both Telstra and Optus, who use it oh. in their systems to uh, to keep a, a track, so they feel they're more on top of it than just saying, oh, here's the population from 2006. Right, yeah, so it, it's bridging the gap between the census and, and also the time that the census is published from when it's taken. Yeah, well, yeah. as I said, you know, the last census published is 06, and mm. we're not going to see the 011 one till late this year, yeah. and we've found every time we get into this cycle, after a couple of years, we start producing this, and in fact, we may just keep, now we've got it in sync, we may just keep running it each year, because technically we're already got our numbers at 2012, even though the 2011 census hasn't come out. I'm with you, yeah. But that's just in bulk, mm. just bulk mm. numbers. Mm. See, so um, that's how we tend to look at doing a, a B to C type of territory planning. The second type I would like to talk about is a B to B, because there's a lot of businesses that don't give a rat where you, uh, where you live, they're just interested in how many businesses. And an yep. example of that is we, for years, have done quick copy. Uh, I think we do worldwide printing. Just businesses like that that are all about how many people live uh, work in an area. Mm. So 
The Australian Bureau of Statistics produced a data set, and the last one I think was 2011, and it tells us by every area how many businesses, by what's called their ANZIC category, Australian New Zealand Industry Classification, so that's things like transport, wholesale, retail, uh, hospital, education, these sort of categories. And then it goes across and tells us how many businesses in an area, and I, my record is that comes out of postcode, has no employees, has one to four, five to 19, 20 to 50, 50 to 100, 100 to 200, 200 plus. So what we can do is effectively look at any area and give an estimate of how many people work in that area and also what type, like whether we think it's a blue collar, a grey collar, a white collar predominantly type of business. So when we do territory planning on a B2B basis, we use that type of data to again make it so that you may have a weighting that says, look, we're more into uh, white collar types of businesses. So obviously there's a couple of categories that are fairly strong that way. And also you might say, well, look, uh, we're a, I'll use an example, a courier business. We tend to get work one, up till a business gets to 50 employees and then they put on their own truck. Uh, therefore, it's good for us if it's white collar and lots of businesses less than 50 uh, employees. Yep, so that, that would hmm. become the stronger, the stronger way. So we have a very simple process for anyone who wants to do a B2B where we actually send them out a document that says, look, you market from like 10 is the best type of client you've got down to one or naught is the one you've never sold anything to in your life. And similarly going across, you know, how do you feel about bigger businesses? Is there a plateau that says once a business gets past a certain thing, it, it doesn't, you know, it's no longer our client. Now, if we're in the food business, say we're selling sushi or something, that's probably irrelevant, that part of it, just a person nearby is a potential lunchtime customer. Mm -hmm. But if we were, say, a courier business, then somebody that's very, very big would probably end up saying no, they actually run their own fleet of trucks. Exactly. Yep. So just for those who've joined us uh, more recently, uh, we're talking today on our teleconference for March to Peter Buckingham. He's a co-founder of Spectrum Analysis and been... Um, probably close to 20 years now in this field as a private uh, with a private business and previously quite a significant time with Caltech. And we're running through territory planning and some of the important things that are applicable for a new and evolving and indeed established group. So he's giving us uh, a, a lot of valuable insight. So I might just mention to those of you who have joined since I last uh, interrupted Peter, if you haven't done, please mute your line by pressing star six and that means you don't have to worry about any background noises interfering with other people's sound and so forth. So thank you. I'll leave you to carry on, Peter. Well, what I guess I've touched through now is if you think your business is a B to C business to consumer, you tend to use the census data. If you think your business is traditionally a B to B, you use the business data. Yep. But there's no problem with crossing across the two. So we often will have someone and they'll say, 60% of our business is B2B and 40% of our business is B2C. Mm. So we can actually bring the two sets of data together so that if an area might be the CBD of a, anywhere, Central Business District of Sydney, it has not many people live there, it might have uh, 30,000 people live there, but it has 300,000 people work there every day. And then you go out to the outer western suburbs, and you might have 300,000 people live there, and only 30,000 people work there. Yeah. 
So you can effectively balance the two through just arithmetic to be able to say, okay, let's give X amount of waiting for a person that works there and X amount of waiting for a person that lives there and then add the two together. So you can uh, make it still of territories of equal potential. Yeah, look, and, and, and certainly I've, over the years, with my experience with different groups, <coughs> excuse me, um, there's the logistics as well. If you're servicing a CBD area, um, if you're a courier, you don't have to drive very far. Whereas if you're out in the outer regions or in the in the in a re, more in the regional suburbs, um, even the country, of course you're doing vast distances. Therefore, you've probably got less potential anyway because you're spending more time in the van than you are picking up and delivering parcels. So all these things have to subjectively be taken into account by the franchisor, particularly with regards to the franchisee's expectations. And no matter how well you try and balance it, the reality is if you've got to drive 300 k's to get, get enough customers <laughs> accessible as you would have in the CBD district, you're obviously never going to achieve the same results. Cool. Um, Very often when we do a territory planning job, we'll normally address the five main capital cities first. Then we, to us, Actually, anyone from Canberra, I'm very sorry, but we actually address Canberra more like a big country town <laughs> because the difference between Canberra at about 330,000 people and Adelaide at about 1.1 million is obviously quite a quantum leap. Mm, mm. And then after Canberra, you've then got your Hobart's at 200, your Cairns and Townsville's about 140, 160. Uh, so we sort of draw the line there. So we tend to, when we do a territory planning job, we will normally say we'll handle Greater Sydney, which to us is Newcastle to Wollongong, We'll handle Brisbane, it's Greater Brisbane, Noosa to Tweed Head. Melbourne, we normally knock over Geelong, and obviously Adelaide and Perth, you often do Mandurah. But what you tend to find is if a business has going to have 20 or 30 territories in Sydney, then it's going to stroke, when you get to the country, it starts to, the numbers don't add up the same. But normally in the country, you don't have the same amount of competition. So whereas you might say, gee, in rough numbers, I'm going to have uh, 40 territories in Sydney and there's 4 million people, one for every 100,000. Uh, probably when you get to the country, you can quite easily go for one for every 50,000 people because in the city, you might be a courier company and there's 10 other courier companies, but mm. in the country, there's you and two others if you're lucky. Good point, so, yeah. So what we often will do is knock over the, the main country territories and... A rough rule of thumb, I say, is if you can do 100 territories in the main five capitals, you'll probably end up with 20 to 40 out in the country, probably 20 to 40%, depending on what we're doing. And the first thing you've got to remember when you hit the country is there's got to be a town someone that's big enough that someone wants to live in. It's not no great fun saying you're going to do uh, Alice Springs and make that a territory when you've got to drive 400 kilometres to get to the next uh point of civilization. Yeah. So normally Queensland, for example, cuts across very easily just with, you know, a Cairns, a town full of Mackay, sort of a rocking Rockhampton, uh, there's one more, the Oh, you said Mackay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you sort of cut five across there. Mm. New South Wales cuts out reasonably well, but it all starts getting a bit thin out by Dubbo and uh, out the Yeah, you I mean you've got you got you've got Country towns of reasonable size, but yeah, yeah they're, li they're limited. In, you know, they're a well, bit the vulnerable. I, yeah, the one I always have trouble with, always we have, is, uh, is uh, Griffith. Because, uh -huh. you know, you can have a nice little territory around Wagga, but Griffith's like sitting out on its own, 28,000 people, but 
there's nothing else around it. You know, Broken Hill's a long way away. Mm-hmm. Um, so you haven't so, got you haven't got much in the way of regional population where you like to have a client base for a lot of businesses. That's right. Yeah. Mm. So we and again, often when we do country, we tend to, especially for Victoria, you tend to do spokes like one out sort of towards Bendigo, one out through Ballarat, one out through Shepparton, one up towards Albury, and one down Gippsland. So you can normally cut reasonable size. When you start to get to places like Western Australia where the tyranny of distance absolutely kills you, mm. I sometimes say to franchisors, would they consider having an A-type franchise, which is the normal metropolitan and big country locations, and then maybe they should have a B-type franchise, which might be half the price, but instead of expecting somebody to be full-time doing it, it may be that out in the country someone's happy to combine that with some other business and make it a half-time sort of business and pay half the rates and generally, uh, you know, because it's only half the potential, you, you just don't have enough people. So Yeah, that's, a very, valid, that's a very valid point because uh, I certainly see examples and there, there are quite a few out there where you do occasionally hear about some disenchanted franchisees with good reason because they really just, they just don't, haven't got a fair cut of the cake and they're struggling to, to actually keep themselves busy all day and start getting an Albany or something like that, or Esperance mm, or Geraldton mm, or Carabao. Mm. Yeah, I see it where I am in Coffs Harbour. Yeah, um, yeah. It's a typical regional area, maybe 60,000 people, quite a few more in the country. But it's a bit of a stretch for people like courier services that end up driving large distances. Mm. But normally at least you've got a decent base. So we normally find yeah. you get a Coffs, you get a Port Macquarie. Uh, they sort of fit up in the New South Wales coast. Yeah. And then you start getting the ones on the other side of the hills. So... Uh, there's an interesting ratio I try and tell people to take down is basically if I had 100 territories across all five capital cities, I would probably have about 35 in Sydney, Newcastle, Wollongong. I'd have about 28 in Melbourne, Geelong. I would have roughly 19 from Brisbane to Sunshine Coast, Gold Coast. I think I'd have 11 in Perth and 8 in Adelaide. Now that's just a simple ratio of populations basically. But it's often an interesting indicator because someone will come to me and say, look, uh, we're based in Adelaide and we've got 10 territories. How many should I have across the rest of Australia? Mm, so, well, hang on. <laughs> 110 or something. Yeah. And similarly, normally again for that 100, most companies will have 20 to 40 out in the country on top of that 100. So that would be typically a network might have 100 territories in the five main capitals and another 20 or 30 out out in the country, including, I'm talking Hobart, Canberra, you know, I'm calling them country locations. Sure. So when, when you're thinking about new franchises that are launching, um, obviously they're, they're going ahead on, on a lot of assumptions. So yeah. how do you recommend they, how far do they go in their planning if they're starting off with maybe in the first year they expect to get four or five franchises? Okay. Well, I like to suggest to people it's always easier to make smaller territories and have someone else caretake other territories mm. then get to the stage where you've given out big territories and then you're trying to buy them back. Now, I, I want to just take it somewhere slightly different here. I'm also a believer that if you have a bricks and mortar situation, i.e. a store, I'm the first one to say don't give a territory. Yep. Now, I worked for Caldex. Caldex never gave a territory in their lives. McDonald's don't give territories, KFC don't. But I do understand it sort of helps sell the franchise because people feel a bit better about it. Mm-hmm. What I lecture in the 
the uh, seminars I run is if it doesn't have, if you call it a territory, it's like putting the Berlin Wall around the outside with a barbed wire on top. Mm. If you can avoid calling it a territory, especially if it's related to a bricks and mortar place, my suggestion is normally PMA, preferred marketing area, or if you really want to have an exclusion zone, i.e. I'm not going to put another one within X distance of you for the next 10 years, then call it an exclusion zone. But on the other hand, if it is a service type business, then it's a territory. If it's something that the phone call comes to a head office and then you allocate out jobs or whatever, there's no doubt that is a territory. So that's, you know, that is the Berlin Wall and all that around the outside. But when it's a bricks and mortar, you can't say to a customer, I oh, don't come to my store, you don't come out of my area, I want you to go to the one five kilometres down the road. That, that does not happen. So, uh, yeah, I'm I can give, I can give you my my first experience in franchising was 30 years ago when I joined a group that's just still thriving today, uh, Bedshed in Western Australia, and they they do have a few stores interstate. But uh, I was about the fourth or fifth franchisee, and in those days, hard to think back, but our franchise agreement was about 18 pages, so there wasn't a lot in there. But it didn't actually specify a territory. But there was a there was a bit of an assumption by the franchisees, and what happened? I had a store, and that's I had a couple of stores within a year, and I had one in Fremantle, and I had one in Claremont, not that far away, and the franchisor said he was opening a new one in Melville. I went into I went into seizure mode, imagining my business was going to be absolutely strangled in Fremantle, because it's maybe it's four or five kilometres up the road. It was certainly an area I drew from, and uh, anyway, there was nothing I could do about it, and they started, and for the first month or six weeks, because they advertised more heavily than I could afford to, um, my business tapered, and then it started growing, and it continued. Uh, and I, in fact, opened another franchise. I think it was Cobble Up, uh, uh, if I got the suburb right, which is again about four or five kilometres sort of south east of there. And the same thing happened again. And what we ended up with was a, quite a density of stores, all thriving and supporting each other because the branding just spread. So it's something that people are paranoid about, and franchisees understand where they tend to. So they want the security, but if you can dampen down that requirement, I think you end up with more potential for growth and actually a better return for the franchisees because Fremantle would never have tripled its turnover in two years if I hadn't had those other stores in the area which were all helping to promote the brand, whether it was through advertising or just awareness and so forth. So that's just a living example, I guess, that when I learned very early I had, on, yeah. I had very similar, and uh, actually it was now gone broke, CleanMate. And CleanMate had gone and franchised off all their uh, stores, so it was more like a commission agent, and then quietly had a conference and told everybody they were going to double the number of stores. Well, as everybody got down off the roof, mm. uh, they weren't very happy, and uh, the youngs, who, as we all probably know, have a few issues right now, uh, decided to run a conference, and I got called in. I was like the, the target. Um, but I was fortunate enough to be able to quote Clark Rubber, Chris Malcolm. And I had a chat with Chris whether I could use his, because we'd done a lot for them at the time. And Chris has a great statement. He said, Peter, we may open a store in Alice Springs and someone in Sydney will still complain. And it's uh, been true of all the time. But anyway, my argument to CleanMade was they said they had a chain. Well, at the time they had, I think, eight stores in Sydney and five in Melbourne. 
And I said, my probability of passing any two stores in one day was almost nil. So how you call that a chain, I didn't really think that was right. Mm. And uh, Clark Rubber were very kind to allow me to use their quote that once they got past about a 50-store network, suddenly the money started coming in. And, and then you've seen them advertising now on TV with all their Clarky ads and things. And that happened once they got to a certain quantum size. Sure, it's sort of critical mass, yeah. 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 But can I just take us back on the territory planning? Of course, um, yeah. One of the things I always say is you're better to make more territories than less. Mm. And I sort of diverted myself onto the thing about uh, do you have a territory for bricks and mortar. But one of my uh, classic ones, we did a lot for Brumbies. Now, Brumbies, I used to joke with Michael Sherlock, the managing director, was when you looked at the territories, who had got who drunker, whether the uh, franchisee had sort of done better than the franchise, the, the guy from Brumbies. Cause some people had like a two-kilometre radius and other people had, one guy had the whole of the Werribee area of Melbourne, which now has a quarter of a million people and has been the biggest growth corridor here for a long time in pure percentage wow. numbers. Mm. Now, what happened, they ended up having to buy that guy out so they could open three more stores in the area. Yeah, cause yeah he, he couldn't had, service it from one outlet. Uh, yeah. He said, I'm happy, I'm doing really well, but a new shopping centre had gone in, or Werribee Plaza, 70,000 gross area, and technically they couldn't open a store in this great big shopping centre, which was still five or six kilometres away from the other one. Oh, oh. So, um, what I believe you're always better to do, and I liken it to a chessboard. Imagine you've got a chessboard with 64. If your long-term 10-year-out plan is to have 64 franchisees, then cut 64 territories now. Now, at day one, you might have two franchisees, and you say, look, this will be your area long-term, but can you look after this whole other part for the next five years? Don't know. Then you might get two more franchisees, so now we're going to four. Well, suddenly everybody has 16 squares of the chessboard. We then go to eight, so they come down to eight squares. They go to 16 franchisees. And eventually, it's better to be stating that, look, our long-term goal, if things go to plan, is we're going to have 64 franchisees and territories, then you may as well cut it to that now because... If, you, if that is your long-term aim and you only cut 20 territories now, you'll be spending the rest of your business life trying to get territories back to cut them up to reissue them in the future. So my, I, we have an article called How Many Territories that a lot of people get and read. And uh, it's really stating, you know, try and work out where you want to be in 10 years' time and work towards that rather than thinking that, oh, I'll only cut four territories for now because that's what I'm thinking in the next couple of years. Yes, I, 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 that I, yeah, ten yeah. year that uh, 10-year agreement on each of those four territories, you then now you're behind the eight ball to undo that to uh, if the thing works like you're hoping. So you're I, I, I think it's invaluable. Exp uh, that's invaluable knowledge because uh, there, there are many cases of people having constrained themselves, just as you say, as Brumbies inadvertently did in that growing area. Um, yeah but uh, where people just don't appreciate, and they miss the opportunity of business, and the fact is they can't meet demand. And yeah. uh, it ends up costing them enormous, enormous amount of uh, potential turnover and profit and the value of the business. If uh, you know, you're looking at your long-term asset value of the business, just imagine if you can only have 60% of the number of territories that you can actually fill, let alone allocate. I mean, that is an enormous difference, because as you, as you allocate each one, their respective costs come down because you have fixed costs there which are spread over a larger and larger uh, number of franchises and things like your buying advantages um, which are uh, uh, you know become stronger and stronger as you grow the group 
um, again, you can keep improving your margins and improving your profit with your franchisees. So it's a huge area that people, I think, often are just not conscious of or not alerted to. Um, yeah. But uh, thanks for those comments, uh, Peter. Very, very important stuff. Um, yeah, the other thing we try and help people with is once you've got your territory sorted out, we like to try and help our clients look as professional as they can be. And we do a thing, and whether it's us or someone else can do something like it, we call it a data pack. And basically a data pack is, here's the map of that area, here's the demographic summary, here's the business demographics of how many people work in there, and here's actually a business hit list so that the day you open you can go and start ringing up or sending uh, invitations to the opening of a refrigerator or whatever you're going to do. And we will often work with a lot of our clients where our process normally is an analysis phase, the territory planning phase, and then we just leave it optional to them to buy the data packs as and when they want them. So someone like ANZ and Mortgage Choice, they said, right, give us the whole 130. Yeah. <laughs> they had a big budget, so it was very <laughs> nice. And we gave a nice discount to do that. But then a lot of people, uh, I'll quote a couple like Appliance Tagging Service, we've been doing their work for a few years, that uh, we just suddenly get a phone call, oh, we've got someone interested in Territory Box Hill in Melbourne. Quick, can you get us a data pack? And we just flip it in and uh, they get it electronically normally that day or the next day. And then the beauty of that is it gives them a map, to, uh, the, the map to go into their agreement. It gives them information to show the franchisee and even a business hit list so that if he comes on board, he's got some clients to go and call. Yeah, and that, that's invaluable like because that. that that all helps the franchisee um, become established and get a uh, you know a, 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 I suppose a, a net profit or a net um, positive for cash flow right from early days, yeah. and that's just so critical because that's when the franchisor is probably at their most vulnerable in many. It also respects. does two other things. One is it puts a proper map into an agreement to mm, say, hey, this mm. is your area. Yeah. Um, we'd like to think that our legal liability means that we're making sure that that isn't causing any problems or overlaps. Mm, mm. Uh, secondly, it's, it shows things like how many businesses, how many people are in the area. And as I say to people, if you're going to be charging thirty or $40,000 for a franchise, then add 500 bucks onto it and look the real part, you know, have the... Mm. So that when the person starts, they let them pay. It's up to you how you do it. But you put it in your cost, but it, it, it is perceived value is quite significant. Yeah. And I think I think the professionalism of of those packs um, is something that just adds. Particularly if you know people out there looking to buy a franchise, the odds are they're looking at more than one. Uh, yep. They may be looking at conventional businesses and so forth, different shapes and sizes and industries. But if you've got a professional presentation and they can see you've done your homework. I think you can sort of, you know, it's reasonable to assume they're going to be more inclined towards what you've got. And it means, you know, you can stand behind the value you're asking because uh, it all helps to just justify the uh, the figure that you're looking for for their investment. Yeah, excellent so, uh, point. No, I think that's, look, I even sometimes, you've probably seen some of my articles in Business Franchise and Franchising Magazine and I'm always told to write them for the towards the franchisee and <laughs> I guess I sort of say to the franchisee, you know, if, if all they can show you is, uh, you know, something written on a bit of toilet paper, well, you know, why don't you look at another franchise system that actually can show you facts and data because uh, they're your hard-earned bucks that are going into it. So right. I guess we support, obviously, self-fulfilling at the same time, but we would like to think that it, uh, also from a legal position, it does 
protect the franchisor a lot more if he can, if they ever do have one of these things end up in a court case to say, well, okay, here's what we gave them, here's the information, it's it's all proper rather than standing there saying, oh well, I stuck my wet finger in the air and used a beer and pizza map and uh, you know gave them an area. And, and we've seen cases with the beer and pizza map. Remember one classic was uh, someone who had a country territory at thirty thousand, and he had one territory in Melbourne at eight hundred thousand. Wow. People. And they were trying to sell the same territory for the same amount. <laughs> and I just said, well, luckily they hadn't done the Melbourne one. We quickly cut that into three. Mm. Just to, but they hadn't realised how what the population just looked like an area on a map. And the population densities, especially in Sydney, between the two harbours, between Botany Bay and up to you know, probably a million people live basically, uh, you know, out to Parramatta and you know across to to the ocean with sort of. Uh, um, you know, put the harbour on one side and Botany Bay on the other, and that is really high density stuff. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I wonder whether there's time. Would you would you care just to very quickly just touch on the site selection? You, you've got a number of tips that you give with regards to uh, um, you know to the effective way to do it, to do a better way of doing it. Would you care to just touch on those very briefly? Oh, okay. Yeah, and then we'll, we'll touch on a couple of things here, and I might. Yeah, yeah, no, I'll leave you to. Uh, yep, yeah, I'll leave you certainly, certainly wrap up the oh. area you're in. Don't let me uh, interrupt your flow. <laughs> okay. Well, we. Um, one of the main things I always say when it comes to site selection is, if you've already got 50 sites and you're going to open a 51st, surely you can learn a lot off why the good ones are good and why the bad ones aren't so good. Now, sometimes people might not want to hear why the bad ones aren't so good, but it's a learning experience. It really comes down to working that out. Now we tend to work in a couple of ways with people is right from a if if all you've got is a very small uh, three or four stores you can learn a bit or create some assumptions. I like to get people to do what I call a check chart which is basically come up with the drivers of their business think of them probably in three levels like good bad and or good medium and ugly and put some sort of score. So I might say okay I'm going to open a shop. I might have decided I want, I'm doing those ball gowns for rich ladies, so I might have said, okay, the first thing is how many people live within five kilometres? That might be my first thing. And I might say I'll give it 12 points if it's over 80,000, I'll give it six points if it's up to 50,000, and I'll give it no points if it's less than 50,000. I then might have a next parameter. I might say socioeconomic, high, medium, or low. Now I might say high, I'm going to give that uh, 10 points, medium I'll give it 5, low I'll give it nothing. Now that can be measured in many different ways. Uh, no, I won't go into great detail. Even if it's as low as just knowing the area and saying this is a medium area, this is a high area, this is a low area. Right. And I must say yeah. I, I had to do a job in Kenya many years ago with Caltex and I got one of our people to go around each area, each of our servos and survey them. And then I got them to survey uh, the area, high, medium or low socioeconomic and traffic going past, you know, high, medium, low, just through one guy's eyes. So we might have a second thing in my ballroom gown which might say uh, socioeconomic. I might have a third one that says uh, Australian born, just an assumption, or I might go the other way, I might say Chinese born because all the ladies wear their uh, Kim Sans and it might be that ethnicity might be good, so I might give it six points for higher ethnicity, three points for middle and nothing for low. I might then say, well, with the store, uh, it's going to be better if it's 200 square metres because uh, we've got a lot of things to display. So 
up to 200 might be, or above 150 might be worth six points, uh, 150 down to 50 might be worth three points, and under 50 might be worth nothing. I might even have another score for visibility and traffic driving past. What I'm starting to do is create a method of every time I look at a new store, I'm evaluating it with the same way. Mm -hmm. Why I like to say this is we often have the people talk to me, oh, look, we tick the boxes. Well, what they're doing is effectively that, but they might just have 10 things they've got and they say, you've heard the story, oh, I tick the boxes and if I get more than eight, I want to do it. If I only get six, I'll consider. If I get less than six, I walk away. Well, my view is, well, we can do a little better than that. We can actually put a bit of weighting as to which ones are most important. Mm -hmm. So... Mm -hmm. And then we can come up with a score. Now, yep. you can imagine that little bit of arithmetic set up. It might say, well, if it's over 30, call... Oh, I had this classic one in Kenya, which I did with a mate of mine when I was there for Celtics. And he said, Bucko, what do I do now? I said, so we worked it out. And I said, tell the bloke, if it's under 50, tell him to get stuffed. 50 to 60, call his boss. 60 to 70, call you direct. And over 70, call the managing director. <laughs> and that became the check yeah. chart for Caltex Kenya. Yeah. And the next job that went to Dallas for a million-dollar service station had Bucko's check chart attached to it, as they right. call it. Yeah, well, look, it, it makes a lot of sense. Time, and that check chart had been developed by using some modelling and saying, well, why are the, what are the good sites doing? What's characteristic of the good sites? Well, in their case, it was high socioeconomic was better than low. Where the funny thing in service stations in Australia is actually low is better than high because lower socioeconomics living further out mm -hmm. probably have to drive more with your car. Higher yeah. socioeconomic, like living in Rose Bay, you probably you know don't get the car out of the garage. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you, you know, so I understand that where that weighting actually is really adds tremendous value to the sorts of statistics or guidelines you're creating. It makes them that much more credible and 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 really. Uh, usable from the point of view so, of being effective. So the, things, the things I used to do in really simplistic terms in Caltex is I did two things. One is I made my own check chart before just as a simple way and the second thing is I always say to people have a property guideline. The property guideline is the types of words you would write down to give to a real estate agent. So what I used to find at Caltex I would get probably in a year we'd get 200 inquiries right? and inevitably we would probably throw 90% out in the first round. Mm -hmm. We'd probably throw another 5% out when we had a good talk and a look at it. And then we'd actually get serious about the last 5%. And out of that last 5%, we'd probably do 2% and still throw out 3%. Now, the beauty of a check chart and a, and a property guideline is if you can actually sit down and say things like, I remember in the Caldex stage, we wanted blocks of land that were either 80 metres long by 40 if they were uh, on a mid-block or 60 by 60 if they were on a corner. Uh, we obviously didn't want them near, we wanted high traffic flow, we didn't want them near where another site is. Now the number of times someone would ring me up and he'd say, I've got a perfect block of land that's 20 metres wide by 100 metres deep or oh, you know our block, if you stand at the front of ours you can see your other service station down the street, right? So yep. the beauty of having a property guideline is something with your own letterhead on saying, look, these are where we're, this is what we're trying to achieve and this is approximately what we're looking for. Now hopefully what it does, and you soon f figure out which real estate agents are fed income and which ones are wood ducks, <laughs> what you're hoping to do is cut your work out of stopping you going looking at silly things. Yep. 
Yeah. And then similarly, I'd actually send the real estate agents, the ones I knew, the check chart and say, look, just tick the boxes and we'll get a score and we'll sort of start to say whether it's worth our while coming out or, or what we're at. And inevitably, if you can start to get those sort of processes working, they make your life a lot easier if you're in the property side of, of the business. I had, again, in this overseas year, uh, I went to New Zealand and we set up check charts there. And a bloke said he was from Auckland. He said, I wish you'd been here two weeks before. I went, oh, yeah, why is that? He said, I just came down. A person rang me up near Paya, I think it's called, right up in the very north of New Zealand. Come up and see. I've got a great site. Well, four and a half hours drive up there. He drove past and just thought, this is ridiculous. Had a lovely lunch and came back. It took him 14 hours or something. And he said, if I could have just sent them a check chart and something really simple and got them to fill it out, I, I could have just saved myself the trip. But mind you, now with Google Earth and uh, Street View and things like that, I, I know a lot of the property people do, you can actually do a hell of a lot more yourself than you used to be able to. Absolutely. So uh, that's really a sifting exercise. But when I run my full day seminar or workshops on this, it's interesting with most companies, and I have it set out as a check chart, basically three, it's a flow chart of three steps, you know, first look, second look, get serious look. And most people agree with me that out of 100, they normally knock out about 90. Then they get serious, they'll probably knock out another five, and then they'll actually go down down the burrow on the last sort of 5%. And yeah, how quickly an, you can get rid of the crap. Look, there's an analogy here in, in certainly what I um, suggest to people from the point of view of recruiting franchisees. You go through a similar process. It's, it's breaking down the, the prospects and pre-qualifying them so you're not are going to talk to 100 people, you're actually going to talk to three or four, and uh, people with experience in in um, you know, HR or whatever, or, or employing staff, will have probably gone through the same process. It's, it's thinning down from a large number to evaluate, so you, you know if someone just doesn't have the basic core qualification that you might need for a particular role, yeah. and it's the same, it's just the same when you're looking at a site. Um, you know, with Caltech, they need a particular number of square metres and certain frontage, if he hasn't got the frontage, it doesn't matter how many acres the block of land is. That's right. It ain't yeah. going to happen. <laughs> and visibility and access and things like that. Mm, so mm. they're the things we sort of uh, we always look used to look at. So um, hopefully we gives you they're the first tools we try and help people set up oh. some sort of check chart. Uh, we also do one for some companies where we've actually set it up in Access. Access is a computer program like Excel for Microsoft standard program and a couple of our clients now they actually do it themselves and by having it in access uh, it's got like the demographics of every postcode in Australia, it's got every shopping centre already showing and then they can effectively say okay I want to go into that shopping centre, uh, I have they have to put in certain variables that some come out of the system and then it gives a prediction of what or a score of what we think the site would be and they then know whether they should be interested or not. And that's been picked up by a couple like Kathmandu because they uh, want to do it themselves and they want to look at lots and lots of different options. And Amazing. the cheapest way to do it is to have the program already set up for them to run. Well, I'll take my hat off. You've developed some fantastic tools over the years and uh, it's, it's extraordinary. Um, Peter, I, I'd, I'd like to thank you very much indeed. I mean, I've, I've certainly found there's a lot of knowledge there which adds to my understanding of quite a few aspects, particularly with the changes with regards to your own modelling and so forth that you're able to do in between the census figures these days, which makes a, just a huge difference getting that data together. Um, and uh, what I'd like to do is ask if anyone 
Um, um, who's on the line here? Does have any questions? If you do, just um, hit star six and introduce yourself and put the question. Um, if you've got questions but you're feeling a bit shy, um, you can always drop me an email and we'll do our best to respond to them later. So, does anybody have any questions there? Please uh, make yourself known. No beeps? All right, I assume at this, at this point in time, certainly as far as looking at territories, yeah, that's pretty comprehensive. Um, what I'd like to do is just alert you to some details with regards to uh, accessing Peter and his information. Peter's website um, is full of some tremendous information. He's very generous in the, the material he makes available with free downloads and so forth. Um, it's spectrumanalysis.com.au and you'll find there there's um, a vast amount of information. And certainly something I'd suggest is uh, there's an e-book there which um, the nine tips to great site selection and I certainly suggest that that's something to go beyond in the next sort of step. Um, but also um, Peter's kindly made some other information available so I've got some documents here which if you drop me an email happy to send out to you. One's titled uh, the services franchises so covering service businesses with some really comprehensive information and another is, a, um, is titled using a scientific approach for better site selection and there's some uh, excellent information in there. I'll add to that that um, Spectrum Analysis uh, regularly runs um, workshops on franchise site selection and territory planning, and they've got some coming up around the country um, over the next several months. In fact, uh, runs I think one runs seems to run one set in April, May, and then later in the year some more in October. Um, um, and I've got information on that and no doubt that's available from the website as well so if anybody would like to access that just drop me an email um, if you haven't got my address readily there it's brian at outoffranchisesimply.com.au so what I'd like to uh, do is to wrap up on behalf of Out of Franchise Simply and the listeners and thank Peter um, for generously making his time available and sharing this invaluable information um, I wondered whether you had anything you just wanted to add as a close there, Peter, where you were just saying, Glass, I forgot to mention this or that. Oh, perhaps Peter's dropped off the line. Let's, in that case, assume that that's all complete. So I'd like to thank um, you all for coming on. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it. And for those who listen to the delayed broadcast when it's available, um, this information will all be current and you can still certainly email me, just make reference to this particular teleconference. I hope you uh, you have a brilliant day and um, lots of fun in franchising. And we'll be uh, looking forward to our teleconference next month towards the end of April. So thank you very much indeed, everybody. We'll say goodbye and um, thanks very much again. Uh, that's Peter Buckingham. I just came back on. So thank you very much for listening and hopefully we can help you. Okay, excellent. Well, I certainly recommend anyone to uh, to contact Peter. He's, he's, he's certainly enormous uh, knowledge and very uh, sort of very generous and helpful from the point of view of uh, of helping people in the franchise. Industry.